Welcome. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's a part of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech from the March on Washington in August 1963. That's part of the speech that you don't often get a chance to hear. But the message may be as timely now as it was then, and it leads into our discussion of civil rights on this Martin Luther King Day. Almost everyone would agree that the nation has made progress in civil rights since Dr. King was killed almost 50 years ago. But there are those who say some of that progress has stopped or eroded in the last few years. Joining us on today's program is Sandra Thompson, president of the York chapter of the NAACP. Ms. Thompson, welcome to the program. Good morning, Scott. Also joining us today, Dr. Rita Smith-Wade L., professor of psychology and African-American studies at Millersville University. Dr. Wade L., thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If you have a question or a comment, you'd like to join in our conversation, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. I mentioned that that's part of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech that you don't often hear. Usually, and you'll hear it throughout the day today in the media, it's usually when he rises to the crescendo and talks about his children being accepted for their character, not the, the color of their skin. But I wanted to play that part of it because that was very early in the I Have a Dream speech. But as I said, it kind of, it's it's very timely today. Dr. Waydell, what do you think when you hear those words in particular, what do you think in context with today? Well, there's a couple of things. Last night, we had a Martin Luther King celebration in Lancaster, our NAACP. And one of the things that's brought out is that that march was also a march about work and labor. Also, we forget that King died at a coming to a labor union's rescue, trying right, to, Memphis, get, right. to get them. So I think we, we keep forgetting that tied to freedom, as somebody says, is economic freedom. Tied to civil rights is economic progress. And though certainly we now have African Americans that are in very high positions and probably make large amounts of money, we have Oprah, who's a billionaire, I am pretty sure that when you look at the gap, the gap in income, the gap in unemployment, uh, the, the gap in incarceration has actually widened, okay, since the time of King. It has not gotten smaller. And I think uh, we often confuse influence for power. Mm-hmm. And since we had an African-American president, we said, see, we have power. And um, no, I think we had influence. And true, for most of us, we were in shock. We did not um, 
see an African-American president in our lifetime. And I think that was a very important concept. But I don't know if you know uh, um, Milana Karinga. He developed the concept of Kwanzaa, African-American studies. He says, power is the ability of your group to have its way even when opposed. And we saw that that did not happen uh, with President Obama. Okay. Can I refer yes. to going to Sandra? Sandra Thompson, when you hear that part of Dr. King's speech talking about all men created equal, your thoughts? Well, you know, with uh, Dr. King being a Baptist minister, obviously that's also biblical, all men were created e equal. And I think that it's just that um, his historically in this nation, we just have to had to be reminded, you know, that you were not lesser of a person based on your race. You were not lesser of a person based on your sexual orientation or your economics, where you came from. Um, I think that uh, some of that statement as well um, in recent years of politics of, you know, your origin should not uh, define your destination. Um, so you should have equal access. And I think even Dr. King, as uh, Dr. Wydell was stating, that, you know, he was b beginning more to speak about that next civil rights frontier, and we are still struggling to reach that. We have not yet reached that part of the dream, equal access to financial and economic freedom. Um, and unfortunately, it seems as though uh, every time we do make some strides, there are measures that try to put up additional blockades because to have economic freedom and true economic freedom, you need education. Um, and so then we had, you know, since Governor Corbett, uh, we had so much money taken out of education. And if you're not educated, you're going to have less opportunity to reach that economic uh, freedom. And we'll talk about all those issues in just a moment. Uh, the holiday, this holiday, has evolved. At first, it felt like a holiday honoring a time past. Uh, then it became a day of service with not as much attention going on Dr. King, and it still is a day of service. It's how many communities uh, celebrate uh, Dr. King's legacy. But in the last three years, um, we're talking once again about civil rights, or at least that's one of the major topics of conversation on the King holiday. And it seems to be a conversation that's a little bit different than the th when I say the last three years, the conversation before that. Uh, there is anger. There is resentment. Not a lot of discussion of passivity or turn the other cheek. Now, I'm talking both about both blacks and whites in this country. Sandra, you see it every day. What's changed in the last three years? I don't know if it's the last three years. I think you said that whether or not it's actually limited to the last three well, years or not. But I have a reason for asking right. that, but go ahead. <laughs> three years specifically. Right. Well, I, you know, I just say, just say was highlighted, I mean, so much. Um, and it's just highlighted since, unfortunately, this election. Um, you take Biloxi, city of Biloxi, Mississippi. You know, when we talk about right now, we're in the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebrating his legacy of civil rights movement. And it took, you know, from the date of his assassination to 1983, President uh, Ronald Reagan uh, finally signed into law as this being a federal holiday. But then it took till 2000 for all 50 states to ratify that as a holiday. But here we have now 2017 and city of Biloxi, Mississippi was trying to change that and roll that back to Great Americans Day. So, I mean, I think, again, it's, it's uh, 
it, it's seeing, I think it's a history of when African-Americans do accomplish that dream, then those who are in that silent majority that has now been vote more vocal try to roll back that dream. So that's why I say not necessarily limited to the last three years, but just think of that, whereas from 2000, uh, they finally ratified all 50 states this national holiday for Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy. Eight years later, uh, we elected African-American president. Uh, and And now we are faced with the answer to that. And that's trying to roll back all of that progress that came from an African-American president. I think people, the young people and old people, are angry for a number of reasons. One, I think once President Obama was elected, that undercurrent of racism that really had not really went away those tags, don't renege in 2012, made it very, very obvious that even though people had tolerated civil rights, that uh, once we elected an African-American president, that was just too much. That was more than they were willing to tolerate. Another thing I think really made a big difference that we're neglecting is media. Because, see, I think uh, African-Americans have been brutalized by police and others consistently uh, for decades, uh, for longer than that. If we go back to Emmett Till, who often is seen as the case that kind of got the civil rights movement um, moving, uh, those kinds of things have continued to happen. If you really would kind of Google them, you would see those events always happen. But you didn't hear about them because we didn't have what we have now, which is one of these events happened, and immediately it is worldwide. So the social you know, media in particular. It made it worldwide. So now people are going, what? This kind of stuff is still going on. We're still being brutalized. We're still being killed. And people are being said, well, no, you deserved it. Or somehow it was self-defense. Uh, I feared for my life. Well, why did you fear for your life? There wasn't a weapon. You had a gun. You had this. But, but I feared for my life. Uh, that they really suddenly see African-Americans, especially African-American males, as, as, as targets. They see all of the cases of us not being shown those quote-unquote civil rights. Whenever an issue comes up in Congress uh, or in the le state legislators, immediately the social media lets you know what's going on. So I think people are angrier because people are more knowledgeable. I know that may seem an odd kind of thing to say, but, you know, that old saying, ignorance is bliss. I think before the last three years, there was ignorance, so there was bliss. <laughs> well, well, go ahead, Sandra. I, I would like to, I do agree as well, but um, the one thing I say is where racism was tolerated. So I, I, don't, I don't necessarily... Uh, the one point I take a little bit of exception is that the progress wasn't tolerated as much as I think that African Americans 
tolerated the underlying current of racism. I mean, I think that that's why, you know, you'll have psychologists and others talk about the stress that African Americans actually suffer every day because of the undercurrent of racism, the little dog whistle statements, um, the moving the, of the pocketbook, the lack of, of advancement in employment, um, stating some other type of innocuous uh, reasons for not getting the promotions that they just dealt with day on and day out. So then you got elected an African-American president to where we thought we could achieve. And I think that the anger also comes from back from um, now that we had that and we thought that we could achieve the highest place in this nation, we're not going back. You're not going to take us back to um, not giving us the job. You're not going to take us back to slavery. You're not going to take us back to beating us on street corners because we raise our voice. Um, you know, some of the things during the election was said that in yesteryear, if they protested, you know how we would deal with them. So I think that the anger comes back to say, no, we're, you're not going to be able to deal with us in the same way because we're going to be as vocal as we need to be. We're going to be taking some phone calls in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. That's Dr. Martin Luther King speaking the night before he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee in April 1968. We're discussing civil rights on this day that honors Dr. King. Our guest today, Sandra Thompson, president of the York chapter of the NAACP, Dr. Rita Smith-Waddell, who is professor of psychology and African-American studies at Millersville University. We welcome your questions and comments. Be patient. i uh, get to some phone calls here in just a moment. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page or on Twitter, Smart Talk WITF. It's at Smart Talk WITF. Again, that phone number, 1 800 729 Before we do get to, to the telephone, uh, one of the reasons that I spoke specifically about the last three years is it seems as though the floodgates have opened on a discussion on race, on civil rights, uh, since Trayvon Martin was, was killed and uh, the number of uh, shootings of young black men uh, by police officers. Uh, so that's why I kind of said the last three years. Sandra, what about that, and has that opened the floodgates for this discussion? I think absolutely. I think that's coupled with Dr. Wydell's statement of how prominent social media has been to this discussion um, because, uh, you know, un what's unfortunate is that has been going on probably since the 60s <laughs> and before, you know, uh, you know, uh, I can't recall the year right now, but even when the FBI put a report out that white supremacists were infiltrating law enforcement. So, you know, with, with that type of situation, and I think Dr. Wydell has spoken to, uh, you know, you have people, you know, law enforcement and others who state that they were afraid of the person or, or fearful of their life for whatever reason, um, although the person may not have made a, a 
furtive movement, had not actually had a weapon, but that was justification for shoot to kill first um, and ask questions later. So I think that is coupled with um, the, the you know the the society saying that we are human beings and we are equal um so you should not be afraid of us mm-hmm. just because of our color you should not be afraid of us just because of our size or our race so i think society speaking out a lot more about the, against that uh, dr waddell when is if we accept that uh, the shootings uh have you know opened the, the conversation you know, one of the things that we've heard so many times over the years, I mean, one of the things in the last eight years when President Obama was elected, heard that we're going to have a conversation about race now, but it never seemed to happen, at least an honest dialogue about race. Things are, seem to be a little bit different now, though, uh, because of the publicity and people willing to speak out uh, after these these shootings. Would you agree with that? I mean, are we actually having an honest conversation about race? Oh, no, uh, we're Still not. Still not. We're not. And the reason I say we're not is the majority of America is not willing to admit that America is a racist country. Now, that doesn't mean every individual in America's races, but as one person says, America functions as if every uh, American is racist. Not, not the individual. The systemic system functions that way. And we see that in the case of the shootings, where after the shootings, time after time, individuals are found innocent or justified, even um, starting with the Trayvon Martin case where this gentleman who said, I feared for my life, that's how I ended up shooting him. But you have a situation where, first of all, why were you following the young man? Everybody, including the authorities, said, go home. If you think there's a problem, you know, we'll be out there. Go home. You attack the young man. You're a middle-aged man. And so, yes, he's getting the best of you, but you approached him first. Do do you see what I'm saying? You confronted him first. And the issue is they base it on, well, you have a right to defend yourself, but that seems to be true if you're white. Obviously, Trayvon didn't have the right to, to, to defend himself. And people see this over and over. And when you see juries... Well, that's what I was going to point. Yeah, I was going to bring up. When you see juries yeah. finding people innocent, uh, there was the case of the man that, by luck, there was a video was shot in the back. Otherwise, that policeman was going to have, you know, a, a, a taser dropped by him, and again say, "Hey, it it, it wasn't me. I I was being um, I was being a, a, a attacked." And so, over and over, you see the country as a whole to some extent supporting what these policemen are doing. You hear people saying, yeah, that's not fair, but, um, you know, you all should handle it different. Let me bring Sandra in. Well, I just wanted to speak to the conversation um, also. I mean, you have a, 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 it's the white anti-racist Tim Wise. Um, he's a lecturer and author, and he speaks 
to the fact that of of when often white people say we are in a post-racial society, that again, that's just one of those ways to not have the conversation. And that's just a reality. And again, it, with the election of President Obama, that was even more of a reason you not heard that to all the time. Exactly, yeah, yeah. not to have the conversation. So no, we're not having the conversation now with the election of President Trump. Elect, um, now we're still not having the conversation because it's like, oh, here you are being racial. You know, oh, here you are being divisive because you want to talk about that pink elephant in the room. <laughs> um, so, so no, we're not having this conversation. Therefore, we're not having healing. And if we're not having healing, then we have, again, these elephants in the room and we still have distrust. And again, that goes back to the anger. The reason for the anger is because we're seeing these shootings and we're seeing the same old answers that they have been giving for centuries. And we're seeing that justice is still being denied to the African-Americans who are victims because they were not tried in court for the alleged crimes. They were just executed on the spot. And then these white officers or officers, uh, whether some are also uh, black who shot um, or were involved in killing, but these officers um, are uh, released or acquitted by these predominantly white juries. So again, um, the society then sees that there are no, there is no justice for the black person, whether it be female or man. And, uh, and, and by the way, that's a theme for the NAACP, I'm first vice president of Lancaster, and last night, and by the way, that actually comes from a biblical re reference, no justice, no peace. There's actually a biblical reference that if you want peace, you've got to make sure there's justice. And if they're wondering why there is not peace, if they're wondering why the young people, the middle-aged people are still upset, still protesting, still not just kind of going along with it, is there is still not justice. And even the Bible says if there is not justice, there will not be peace. Mm -hmm. Let me bring into uh, our conversation Reverend Trey DuPont, uh, Director of Youth Services with the Greater Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Harrisburg. Reverend DuPont, welcome to the program. Hello, thank you for having me. I yeah. really appreciate it. Well, I, you know, we, we just touched on uh, Dr. Wildale mentioned young people, and you work with uh, young people all the time. Uh, one of the things, I, I just read an article this morning I found very interesting, was talking about, and this goes back to uh, Dr. King's legacy. Uh, it, it, it's basically, this article was saying that uh, today's young activists, uh, whether they be African-American, white, or whatever, uh, that they like to remember the Dr. King who was considered a radical and that was radical in uh, preaching for, for change, rather than what we often hear in the holiday about the pacifist, nonviolence, that kind of thing. What do you hear from young people? I think it really just depends on the segment of young people that we're polling. I think um, when we're dealing with young adults, I, I, I'm pretty sure that most of their lives they, they haven't seen the systemic racism, and up until the last maybe five to six years, it's really become um, evident to them. And now, all of a sudden, what you thought was life has, has changed, and they're witnessing some of the things that generations before them have, have continued um, witness for. And, and now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's a, an outrage. 
Oh, I think we lost him on the line. Speaking of young people, we have a, call, a phone call here from uh, Phil in Ephrata that talks about young people. Phil, you're on the air. Thanks for being patient. I, when I graduated from Ephrata High School in 1959, there wasn't even a Catholic kid in our school, let alone a Jewish or an African-American uh, person. Today, the school is, is integrated. Last year's president of the senior class was a Hispanic, Afro-Hispanic woman. These kids that are growing up now are growing up in a, in a diverse society. It is that conversation goes on on the basketball court over at the Effort Recreation Center every day. I cannot imagine that these kids who have a diverse friendship won't bring that justice about. I mean, dinosaurs roll the land, but their extinction is at hand. All right, thank the you very much. The future is there. That, that, that promised land that King talked about, I see it in the eyes of the kids I work out with every day over at the wreck. Phil, thank you very much for your call. Uh, I teach at a university which is, of course, diverse. It's a state university. It's not as diverse as we'd like to, to see it, but we're about 10% uh, um, African-American, a little less Latino. Most of these um, students went to schools that are diverse, and they disagree with this the, the gentleman because we still have, they, they talk about the microaggression. They talk about the kinds of things last year, uh, there, the NAACP on campus and the Black Student Union with a number of white students uh, did a, a die-in. You know, I can't breathe, I'm dying. And some of the white students came by and said, we should step on this trash. Uh, and and there are other students, you know, go, how dare you, you, you do this? They're still not talking. Um, we've had some dialogues on campus um, black and white, and still large numbers of the white students think there is a, a, a major, uh, that the problem is the black community. Uh, the problem is the Latino community. The problem is not the white, the white community. Uh, where he sees a future with these kids, I live in a country that just elected Donald Trump president who very clearly made racist, sexist, homophobic remarks, has made it very, very clear that his perspective is uh, these, these um, yell for equality needs to stop. And the reason I know it's, it's divisive is um, was having a talk with a fellow parishioner of, of, of mine. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a Roman Catholic. And we started talking about where the party stood on uh, abortion and, and birth control. And, and, you know, and I was talking about what does pro-life really mean? And then all of a sudden, this person says to me, but who's the minority now? And I'm suddenly, she's white, I'm black, I'm suddenly go, where did this come from to show you the kind of division that it said, well, who's the minority now? Who's the largest minority group now? And I looked and it said Native Americans. 
think she was taken back. Okay, okay, well, well, after um, um, Native Americans, I said, well, maybe even less than Native Americans are Jewish people. Yeah, 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 okay. But who's after that? And I said, uh, probably uh, then would be um, um, uh, African Americans, maybe um, Latinos. And she said, you mean whites are the minority? I said, no, whites. Maybe sometime in the near future, but right now they are not a minority. And what has happened is the whites in America have been convinced that they are a minority and that they are threatened and that the other other can be based on race, gender, um, uh, sexual orientation, whatever, religion, that somehow this other is going to do them in. Sandra? Well, I just wanted to, for the gentleman, um, that the caller, I, I do partially agree with him, obviously, that youth are the future. You know, that the youth can keep the progress rolling. But it all depends on who are their educators, who are their trainers. Um, because, unfortunately, since the election, you know, when you talk about that age group, just as Dr. Waddell spoke about, I believe, her school, you had, after the election, uh, University of Pennsylvania. They had issues where um, there was a group called Mud Men um, created, and then the black students were put into that group and then messaged by somebody called Daddy Trump. Um, You had uh, the Southern Lehigh Valley High School that you had... um, after the election, uh, people going after Jewish students and saying, hi, Hitler, people going after black students, calling them niggers and other types of things, and that they're going to have to go back to the cotton fields. Um, you have um, York Votech um, to whereas Which made national news. Right, exactly. Yes. Um, that uh, you had the video of uh, the white students carrying Trump signs in the school, which they had to go past adult to get in the school. Um, how they hit it, I don't know. It was a visit. I don't know, but they were openly carrying Trump signs and also uh, going after uh, those that they declared or thought were immigrants, uh, Hispanics, Asian students, um, African-American students, uh, grabbing uh, women was the accusations, um, girls because of all things that Trump said. And I think the other thing that uh, Dr. Uh, Wydell had stated and alluded to of uh, white people feeling disenfranchised comes also from, again, these dog whistles of we have to make America great again. And we have to send... What time frame are we going back to? So so I think that's one of the issues. And I, I understand. Reverend DuPont, are you there? Yes, I'm back. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll bring it back in, in, in just a moment. I want to play for you and our audience, and this is Donald Trump on the campaign trail when he was asking uh, black voters uh, to come out and support him. I say it again, what do you have to lose? Look, what do you have to lose? You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? You know, uh, I smile, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Waddell, because of the look on your face. Uh, you have a, a look of uh, being, you just can't believe what, what you just heard. Well, the issue is I'm not arguing with his data, but he seems to miss the fact that those things exist because of racism, prejudice, discrimination, that that's why they, they tend to exist. And he's ignoring that, you know, altogether. All and so, uh, 
you know, what do we have to lose? Well, for example, education. She said that's very important. This man has put forth an individual for secretary of education that has really been an advocate for charter schools, schools with no uh, one to oversee them, um, that will pull money out of already poverty-stricken school districts, which, let's face it, are mainly African-American and Latino. So he's proposing someone that really, actually, I'm afraid, spells doom for our urban public schools. Can I interrupt? For, and, and I am not defending charter schools. I'm just making a point here, is that, you know, when the conversation started about school choice and charter schools. It w- In fact, there were a lot of, um, I think of uh, Senator Anthony Williams in Philadelphia, who said that this is a way for uh, those in urban districts that are not performing well, that this gives them an opportunity to go to a school where they would get, to get a better education. You don't buy that? No, I think the solution, and we're going to have some forums on this, is what we call... Um, they call it economic um, diversity. Um, Maryland, I think, has done it where they've taken a whole county and made it the school district, and you can go anywhere in the county. And they don't talk about it racially. They talk about economic diversity, economic integration. That is making sure that all the schools are economically integrated. And that will also make a difference for racial integration. I think that's a much better solution. Now, of course, what we have found out is that it is mainly the European-American, white, especially suburban um, population that's totally opposed to this. You know, they're, they're really totally opposed. They they really want to keep our schools segregated. And when I say segregated, that doesn't mean there's a legal, what they call de jure segregation. It doesn't mean that there are no blacks and Hispanics in the school. But what it does mean is that for the most part in America, there's some exceptions, we basically have chocolate and I'll, I'll call it banana cities surrounded by vanilla suburbs. <laughs> that is education in America. And if someone has some data that can disprove that, I want to hear it. You're <laughs> listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk on this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. We're talking about civil rights in 2017. Our guest today, Reverend Trey DuPont, Director of Youth Services with the Greater Zion Missionary Baptist Church of Harrisburg. Dr. Rita Smith-Waddell, Professor of Psychology and African-American Studies at Millersville University. And Sandra Thompson, President of the York Chapter of the NAACP. We welcome your questions and comments. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Let's take a few phone calls here. We have some uh, callers who have been waiting uh, patiently on the line. Let's go to Kurt in Aaronsburg. Kurt, sounds like a, you have a little history with for us today. Uh, sure. My, I'm Kurt. I live in Aaronsburg. And uh, excuse me for the listeners that don't know it, uh, <clears throat> there was a, a civil rights, peace, and religious uh, tolerance event that happened in Aaronsburg in 1949. And long story short, Aaronsburg was founded by a, a, a man of, of Jewish uh, faith, Aaron Levy, and he gave uh, 
he gave land to the to the German settlers and land in a church. And in uh, 1949, a, a guy who was working for the governor was driving through town, noticed that the name of Aaronsburg and that it was a Jewish name, and they were celebrating an anniversary of this church, and they were having a celebration. So he decided to uh, get the state involved and turned out to be an event with uh, 50,000 people from all over the country, mm-hmm. including uh, the keynote speaker was Ralph, Dr. Ralph Bunch, who was an African-American that many people don't know about, and he was a, he was a supporter of Martin Luther King, although this event was uh, 10 years before Rosa Parks and 15 years before most of Martin Luther King's famous activities. Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, I have to admit, uh, I'm not familiar. Where is Aaronsburg? It's Aaronsburg is between halfway between Lewisburg and State College. Okay. All right. Hey, I'm glad you called in. Thank you very much. It's always uh, good to hear uh, some of that history. Dr. Warnell? Oh, oh, just one. Ralph Bunch was actually the first African-American to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. It was not Martin Luther King. It was Ralph Bunch. And Dr. King, of course, <laughs> won the, the Peace Prize uh, mm-hmm. as well. Let's go to Ryan in Lancaster. Ryan, you're on the air. Hello, Ryan. Okay, I guess Ryan's not there. Let's go to uh, John in York. John, you're on the air. Uh, folks, I apologize. I know you've been on hold for a little bit. Would you like to call back? 1-800-729-7532. That is the number to call. 1-800-729-7532. Uh, Reverend uh, DuPont, I want to bring you in, in particular, uh, again, I mean, you can address anything that we're talking about, but uh, in particular, talking about young people. Uh, Dr. Waddell said something to me before we went on the air today, and I'm going to have her you know, uh, discuss that a little bit, too. But you know, she talked about how young people today, young black people in particular, are a lot different when they protest than those who protested in the 1960s or during uh, Dr. Get the, Dr. King's time. The young people that you work with, how engaged are they in what's going on? Well, we, we've seen a, a few engaged, and I, as I tried to state before, and I apologize, I'm not sure for the disconnect is, is uh, they've been taught and they've been trained that America is is unified and that they're whole. And uh, that's what they hear in school. That's what their parents are teaching them. And it's something when you come into the knowledge and you realize that everything that had been taught to you, you, you feel is wrong. And then there's an offense there. That, that That's where a lot of aggression stands with a lot of our young people is because what they thought America was, um, they're now finding out it is not. So that's what the young adults are kind of sensing. Um, that's where the frustration is because America is supposed to be this great country and we are supposed to be unified and we have rights that our forefathers have not. But to find out that now that is not true, that's where aggression is. But then I, I also realized that young people, not young adults, but actually school-aged children, their first president that they can recognize and understand is President Barack Obama. So there is a there is a slight disconnect even with them from generation to generation because all they know is a black president. And when you see that mixed with some of the things that are going on in the world, that sends a mixed message, but I'm not sure if they, they're able to acknowledge the rage that, let's say, my generation has experienced um, being 29, where this is supposed to be a unified front that we have, and it's not. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's even a mixed emotion between my generation and, and those that are still currently in grade school and those that are learning because of what they're exposed to. 
um, I have young people in my congregation that uh, support it um, of the Republican Party, and and I encouraged it. I just did, I couldn't encourage Donald Trump um, because I believe as a as a believer as a Christian we are not red and we are not blue. We're, we're not liberal and we're not conservative. As believers, we we meet somewhere down the middle, but it's it's a it's a hard stretch being black and a believer. And and I wanted just to touch on also, I'm not sure who it was, so forgive me, um, was mentioned about uh, what is pro-life. And that's a real question. Is pro-life just giving birth to the child and not caring about the child once it's born? We've got to reevaluate our standards on on pro-life. And I'm, I'm sorry if I'm covering a, a blanket of things, but then there's also the power of education. And we've got to recognize that America has been systemically setting up um, the African-American population for failure, and it starts even with grade school. How we reprimand and how we treat a young black child with behavioral issues or concern is completely different than how we would reprimand the same white child in the classroom. It, it gets treated differently and looked at differently, and so that young black kid gets used to being dealt with as though he's a criminal. And then it goes all the way up through the rest of their lives. That's a, that's a serious concern that we've got to address on top of not being um, appropriately educated, not having the appropriate tools or timing. And I'm sorry. Well, well it's all right. No, no, Dr. Wally, I, I was, was going to say, I was not really saying that your generation was more aggressive. I was actually saying the opposite. I'm old. I am 68. I went to Columbia University in the 60s, where we protested against the Vietnam War. The riots today look mild compared to the riots after King's death. I really complain. I teach college students, and I really see them as much more passive and uninvolved and not angry enough when I think of my generation, because like I said, I grew up at the, I was in college at the end of the 60s, um, and there were, there were, D.C. is still recovering from the areas where there were riots. I remember protesting the Vietnam War. I remember taking over buildings. I remember working with SDS. Uh, I, I remember a generation that was really angry for some of the same reasons you, you, you talk about, that suddenly we realized that all those things we had been told about America were lies. At least that that's how we, 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 we saw it. We saw white college kids getting out of being drafted and black men being used as cannon fodder. So we were angry. So I don't see them as more aggressive. Honestly yep. enough, I see them as less aggressive. Um, people only think about the King group. But at that same time, there was Black Power. There was Malcolm. Uh, and I don't think people think about that segment of, of, of the population. Something else you said, though, that and I, I'm curious whether you were talking specifically about young black people or not, but you said that uh, a lot of your students are more interested in me, that they, even though they may be thinking about some of, of what's wrong in our society, at the same time, they're also thinking about, all right, I want to get out of school, I want to get a good job, I want to make money, and I want to acquire things. Yeah, they, they, they still think uh, I, I often say to them, they really believe that with that degree will come a bleach job. 
And, and, and what I mean by a bleach job, that suddenly, if they can get a degree, a bachelor's or maybe a master's, a later PhD, that suddenly their color won't matter, that, it, that, that everything will be okay, they'll be able to get a Beamer, they'll be able to get a, a house. And I remember what Malcolm said to one young, um, young person um, finishing up their PhD, and he said, do you know what they call a black PhD? And she said, what? And he said, nigger. And uh, I, I, I think they don't realize. And we need education. Don't, don't. Well, I'm going to say that. Yeah, I'm not saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying don't get an education. I'm not saying don't go as far as you can achieve as much as you can, but don't assume that those things will suddenly make people in America no longer see you as African American. I think that's the problem with talking about this as a post-racial society, and I think even in our black communities, we do that same thing, because I, I can go back, I graduated high school in 1986, so I do understand where, if it was any implication of you start thinking of you and your future, because I was trained in, that I could achieve, I just needed the education, and I can achieve. So it's not until you actually try to knock on those doors, <laughs> and they block it, or you, you, you and you, you hurdle all those who hurdles and then you still can't achieve that you become angry and I think that's also what Minister DuPont has stated that um, that these young people when they, you know you feel lied to you feel bamboozled betrayed um, so then you start having your world opened up and then those who then have more of that civil rights inclination because it depends on the person you have people who are more outgoing who then start looking for okay if you're going to put up this barrier let me find other ways to get around it and then you have other people who just decide that okay well let me see what i can get with whatever you will give me so i just want to also make a statement that's what we have to lose to answer Trump's uh, question, what do you have to lose in an African-American uh, society or neighborhoods? Everything. You know, he has the Supreme Court nominee. Um, he's talked about uh, stop and frisk. Um, you talk about lack of education opportunities and funding. In York County, there was the Rust Report that stated, as was discussed earlier, of the benefits of going countywide with education. But you have mainly the predominantly county and white uh uh, schools who fight that. They don't want to integrate with the city schools. I mean, some of that is a loss of power and position, but a lot of that is uh, racism. So, yeah, so from education to law enforcement, we have a lot to lose. If we don't wake up, start paying attention, and now become angry enough to action. And also, I think that we have to recall, even when they say the peacefulness of Martin Luther King, he was still arrested. He was still called an agitator. He was still called an outsider. So everything that they're saying now about the people who protest, they said back then for him and his people. Reverend DuPont? Yeah, I just wanted to, to, to mention two things, partially on, on the Dr. King, um, you know, statement, because I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of a peaceful protest. I'm a fan of, of civil disobedience, and, and I think that was the, the thing that Dr. King stood on the most was civil disobedience, to draw attention and awareness to, to issues. I, I'm, I'm leery of the fact that, you know, we can't destroy our communities that we're living in, um, to get other people's attention outside of our community. I don't think that that makes the, the best decision that we can make. Um, so I'm not a fan of, of destruction of property. I think that we ought to still um, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God as, as the Bible intends. But we can 
um, still draw attention through our civil disobedience. And I also want to just mention this, because I feel like this conversation on Trump is, is necessary in the entire country, in the entire world, is having this conversation. But we've got to realize that America was built on racism. And, and that just doesn't go away. And I don't think it's this conversation. I think we're dealing with the fruit of what has existed. We've got to attach the root of our country, the makeup of it, the history of the country. We've got to undo some things that have been done over time because it, it won't change as long as we're going on. And I think someone said post-racial. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be an accurate statement to describe 2017 because of so much residue that remains from slavery. Like, it, it's not just slavery. It's not just segregation. It's just not um, Jim Crow. But the system has been designed with the intention of holding down uh, a, a nation of people. And that's the problem. It's not a black issue um, per se. So, it, yes, the black community needs to do better in education and letting our young people know of the history and the struggle and the cost of the freedoms that they experience today. But I also think that America at large as a country needs to come together and do some re-education, um, which is appropriately teaching um, slavery and civil rights in our schools and figure out how we can go forward from here, because I don't think we'll get anywhere dealing with the fruit of things. Donald Trump is the fruit of racism. I think we have to examine more of the root of the issue, which goes and it's embedded in the hearts of the people that live in this country. Mm -hmm. Reverend, thank you very much. Uh, uh, one of uh, We only have about uh, two minutes left. I want to give each of you an opportunity. You know, obviously we've been talking about this for the last hundred 150 years. So there's no easy solution. So this question sounds like I'm asking for an easy solution. Sandra Thompson, what would provide progress? Well, I think that we have to be honest and open and we have to have these discussions and we have to have these discussions in the community, in the boardrooms. We have to have these uh, discussions at city councils and on the legislative floor and the police departments and um, hospitals, in um, high schools, middle schools, colleges, um, our households. We have to have these open discussions and most importantly, uh, we have to have more of the thought of of we as a people. I think even Martin Luther King has stated that we as a people will get there together. We're not going to get anywhere unless we go together. And I think for NAACP, a lot of people think it's only black people, but it's not. Um, NAACP is black, white, Asian, whatever you are. It's just having the same mindset to move everybody, regardless of your class, regardless of your race, regardless of your sex, everybody upwards and forward and no going back. And I think that's the key. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wardell, we have about 30 seconds left. I think we need to educate everyone. I teach a course on psychology of racism, not only racism, but also of the con contributions of African-Americans. There's a tendency to make African-American history just slavery and just Jim Crow, not the contributions, not what we did to get our own freedom. So, for example, figures, hidden figures. I, I think that... Um, Everybody in the country should go see hidden figures and go see fences. I want to thank our guests for being with us today, Dr. Rita Smith-Waddell, Professor of Psychology and African-American Studies at Millersville University. Sandra Thompson is president of the York chapter of the NAACP. Reverend Trey DuPont, director of youth services with the Greater Zion Missionary Baptist Church of Harrisburg. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. 
Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Breast Cancer Center's team, who now offer hidden scar breast cancer surgery. This is a new approach to achieving optimal cosmetic results after breast cancer surgery. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org slash phbcc.